All right, good morning. As we celebrate this special service with ordaining two pastors today, we're going to start with the song. We'll ask you all to stand with us this morning.
to you. We are glad that you are here, each one of you. And for those of us, those of you that are visiting with us, we're especially glad to have you here this morning. As Daniel mentioned, this is not a uh, a normal, ordinary service. Uh, it's always a special time when we come together to worship the Lord, but there's there's an added uniqueness to this service in that we're going to be ordaining uh, two new pastors into the gospel ministry. And so we give thanks to the Lord for that. And I just want to take a minute to, to say a few words. Uh, first, just to introduce each of the candidates. We have uh, Jeffrey Roberts, and, and Donnie Sanders, who are no strangers probably to anyone here. And I just want to say sort of a word about each one of them. You know, Jeffrey is, is coming to us this morning and, and entering into this process, and, and he's young. That's obvious, right? And uh, one of the things that Scripture says is that uh, a person coming into this role should, should not be a novice or a new believer. Uh, and, and yet, as I look at Jeffrey, uh, he does, he is young, uh, but I don't think he is what we would consider a, a novice. I think he has a, a great deal of experience having grown up in church and not just in church, but around ministry. And in a lot of ways, Jeffrey, I think, reminds me of myself in some ways growing up, my dad being a pastor and you're just, you have a front row seat to the work of ministry. And for the, the child that grows up in that environment uh, and just sees that, if, if that child's observant and is watching, uh, so much can be learned there. Uh, I think sometimes you can learn more growing up in that environment as far as practical ministry than, than you can in even the best seminary. And so Jeffrey enters this position much like Timothy. When we look to the New Testament, we see Timothy uh, whatever his age was, we don't know what Timothy's age was, uh, but we know that he was considered young uh, to be in such a role. And that's part of the reason that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and, and gave him instructions about leading the house of God. In 1 Timothy 3.14, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. And so I think there's a recognition there uh, from the Apostle Paul as he spoke to Timothy that, that Timothy needed some instruction. He needed to continue to learn and grow in this, and I think that uh, fits where Je Jeffrey is. Uh, and two key instructions that the Apostle Paul gave to Timothy as, as one who was young. He says in 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one despise you for your youth but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And so what he's telling Timothy there and what I would say to Jeffrey this morning uh, is don't give anyone a reason to despise the fact or look down on the fact or point out the fact that you are young in, in your behavior, in your conduct. Uh, sh show them an example. And then he encourages Timothy as well to labor diligently to prove yourself a faithful worker. And so he says in 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. And I think both of those words are, are just good for Jeffrey to hear this morning. It's been encouraging to see his growth in the Lord, and I look, in, I look forward uh, to see him continue to grow in this calling that God has placed on his life. And then we have Donnie, and he comes to us really at the other end of the spectrum. Uh, he is 
an elder in every sense of the word, right? And uh, that's a good thing. Uh, he he comes to us having a long history of faithful service in various roles, including leading youth and, and serving as a, an active role as a deacon. And uh, when Donnie came into membership at the church here, uh, he, he had that active uh, history in, in the church, and we talked about just taking a, a time to, to rest and, and to get to know the, the church, and, and he did that uh, before he jumped into service. Uh, but, but as we kind of came to him and we put something before him, we had an open Sunday school class to teach. Uh, it was our youth Sunday school class, and uh, we thought this might be a good opportunity for Donnie to begin to enter into the work of service and ministry here, and, and he did that. And it became very evident right away. Uh, there was no hesitancy on, on his part. He, he jumped right in, and it became very clear that he didn't do this reluctantly or, or half-heartedly. He immediately displayed a pastoral heart really in two key areas. The first was his handling of the word. Uh, he was diligent to study. He didn't just show up uh, and just give a, a lesson. He poured his heart into study and, and teaching of the word. And, and then his, his care for the youth, even just in this Sunday school class, uh, just demonstrated a pastoral heart. He was concerned about their spiritual well-being. He was building relationships. He, he was concerned for them. He has the heart of a pastor. And, uh, and adding to that, he also has displayed a, a great deal of wisdom and making decisions, so much so that uh, he's very quickly become somebody that I go to. You know, a go-to guy to ask and, and receive counsel and wisdom, and he's been helpful to me in that role. And so uh, I, I feel good, and I feel confident about both of these brothers coming in and serving as pastors in our church, and I'm, I'm excited about that. So a little bit about the process. We voted in our August business meeting uh, to ordain both Jeffrey and Donnie, and both of those votes were uh, unanimous. Um, and so we're gathering today really to uh, fulfill the will of the church in this matter, what we've already set out to do, and we're going to take the, the step of officially setting them apart uh, as gospel ministers and pastors of Union Baptist Church. Let me say a very quick word about ordination, because this is different. This is something that we do uh, often, uh, but, but this act of ordination, the, the laying on of, of hands and praying over them, is really a tradition that finds its roots in the New Testament, right? We see it in the book of Acts. We see Paul talking about laying hands on, on Timothy. And, and what's being done as we do this is, first of all, something's being symbolized. We're, we're symbolizing the fact that we as a church have selected these men and we're setting them apart both to an office and to a work. The office is pastor. The work is gospel ministry. And so that's what we're saying. When we lay hands on them, we're setting them apart. And there's a second thing that's happening there. I think there seems to be some kind of divine enablement that comes along with ordination uh, from God. And 2 Timothy 1.6, it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, Paul says to Timothy. And so God, as we set apart these men to the work of ministry, I believe God honors the action of the church and of, of these other pastors and, and enables and helps them for the work 
that is ahead. And we do have uh, an ordination council with us. We have pastors, uh, as is common in, in a tradition, to have pastors from outside the church who, who come, and, and that's what we have this morning. Uh, these are brothers who know the candidates well uh, and who have had opportunity to formally, either formally or informally, sort of evaluate them. And they're able here this morning to attest to their qualification for this work. And so this morning we have Brent Thornton with us and uh, Andrew Rupert and uh, Brother Ray Estes with us. Brent is no stranger to us. He's our director of missions and, and doing a, a great job. Uh, he knows Jeffrey well, working firsthand with Jeffrey there, and he's gotten to know Donnie as well. Andrew is the pastor of, of Corinth Baptist Church in McQuady. Uh, he's known Donnie for a long time. We were kind of surprised he was willing to come this morning, but he's here. No, uh, that, that's why we wanted him. He knows Donnie well, and he can attest to Donnie's qualification for this office and for this work. And uh, he's also been in a position to get to know Jeffrey uh, as well and to see him grow and mature over the years. And then we have Brother Ray Estes with us, who's no stranger to our church. Uh, he's from our church. Uh, in a lot of sense, he's still part of our church in, in many respects. He a, was a member and a, a deacon here at Union Baptist Church before the Lord called him uh, to go pastor elsewhere. And he's also the grandfather of Jeffrey. And so this is a, a time for he, him and, and for Deanna, a special moment in, in a lot of ways, and we're glad for you all to be here this morning. And so these brothers are here because as men of wisdom who know the work of ministry well and who know Donnie and Jeffrey well, they're able to affirm them in this calling and in this undertaking. We're thankful that they're able to be here with us this morning. I'm going to invite Jared to come now, and he's going to lead us in a prayer. Good morning. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'll read a few verses here, verses 1 through 7, and uh, then we'll pray. These should be familiar verses to us since I spent some time leading up to this preaching through these verses. As we uh, understood that Donnie and Jeffrey were both uh, desiring the office of pastor, the work of a pastor, we spent some time preaching and teaching through that to kind of understand well, what qualifies somebody for that, that noble task? And then we use that as the template to say, do they possess these qualifications? This is the standard that we, that we judge them by, not on the firmness of their handshake or the twinkle in their smile or their shoot-it-straight kind of uh, dealings. It's what does, do they handle themselves in the way that God says they should? Do they possess the qualities that God says are necessary? And we made that the litmus test for their fitness to minister, and that will remain the litmus test for them and for Andrew and myself throughout our ministries. Uh, there is no other test that we that we uh, ascribe to. And that's what we'll look at here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. So read along with me in your copy of God's Word. Paul writes, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that's pastor, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, 
keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Will you pray with me? Father, as we gather here this morning, we thank you for this day. We recognize, to borrow from Ephesians chapter 4, that, that Donnie and Jeffrey are gifts to your church. When Christ was buried and raised and ascended upon high, he led, a, he led captive a host and he gave gifts to men. And then the text explains to us that, 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 that those gifts, in part, are the men that you set aside for gospel ministry to help equip the saints to carry that ministry out. And so we receive them today as that, as gifts. We have no other way of defining them uh, in, in some subcategory. We see them in that way. They are gifts given by the risen Christ to Union Baptist Church in specific, but yet their ministry will have effects outside of this church and, and, and gather with and, and in some way serve the church around the world as their influence reaches others, that reaches others, that reaches others. But God, we bless you and praise you here in this local gathering for them. And we, we praise you, God, that you have seen fit to qualify them. We, we praise you and thank you for their faith and for their qualification because we know that they would be disqualified and that I would be disqualified and that Andrew would be disqualified if it were not for your saving and keeping grace, your sustaining grace. You don't just make us right with you and then tell us to do it all on our own strength. It tells us in Peter that you that we're kept by faith through the power of God. And so we recognize your work in this as much as we're responsible to walk in holiness uh, and to do uh, the work of ministry faithfully. We want to acknowledge that you're a part of that and we praise you for the gifting of these men. We, we're praising you now in advance for the keeping and preserving of these men. And so God, we ask that you would use Jeffrey, that you would use Donnie to strengthen the body here at Union Baptist Church you know, I stop and think about this congregation, and we're not a, a huge congregation. And I wonder, God, why is it that you would put four pastors here? And I don't know the answer to that, other than to say, because it pleased you to do so. And I must believe and trust and, and understand that, that you have given all four of us so that this body can be abundantly blessed. And God, we are so unworthy of that blessing. We've done nothing to merit your kindness in this way. We are here today just basking in your extravagant mercy, your extravagant grace, your extravagant kindness to us. But we would also say, God, that we must not focus on that alone. Help us to recognize why you've put four men here and what ministry must take place because of the responsibility that has been entrusted to Union Baptist Church. Let us look forward now and say, okay, having received these gifts, how do we not squander or waste this opportunity? To what calling has God placed uh, uh, on Union Baptist Church that we, that we should accomplish for your kingdom and for your glory? And so God, give us wisdom, give us balance, give us discernment in that. Help us not to manufacture some manifest destiny, but to also not just assume that, that it's going to be uh, just easygoing and that there's no great uh, reason for which you've called these men. So God, help us. What I'm asking for is wisdom as Solomon did. Give us wisdom to care for and to lead your great people. And so, God, let your blessings be here in this church, in this service. 
but Lord, we ask that your blessings would, would accompany the ministry of Donnie and Jeffrey here and wherever else that, that you might open opportunities. And so we praise and glorify and exalt your name, O God, through Jesus Christ, the risen and ascended one who gives gifts to his people. And we receive them gladly this morning to your glory and to our benefit. Amen. Well, we've been certainly blessed with Jeffrey and Donnie, uh, part of the congregation and, and the church here. And so as we consider the source of that blessing, that's when we stand and worship.
Ain't this group awesome? I tell you, if, if this don't affect you, if the song is saying don't affect your spirituality, your wood's all wet. It is a awesome privilege, and I thank Brother Andrew to allow me to be here to in front of you today. Today, we have ha we're having a reunion today. A lot of you I haven't seen in a long time. Some of you I don't know. But I pray and hope that every person that's in here today has a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ because that's the most important thing you ever do as long as you live is know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And it's a... a Jeff, I have known ever since he was... Well, since he was hatched. So I've known him a long time. And I'm so thankful that my grandson is going into the ministry. Even though it's going to be hard times, it's not all going to be roses. I guarantee you. And it's a big job being a pastor. And you've got to lean on a lot of people. And I hope and pray that 
a lot of times that Jeff and Donnie, and I know Donnie for several years, and I have no doubts about Donnie or Jeff, either one of their uh, spirituality of what they do to, to glorify the Lord. Uh, it is a, I pray and hope that you guys will use your wives to be a uh, strong board to bounce off things with your wives because they will help you a lot in your ministry because both you ladies, both those ladies are Christian ladies and I know they'll help you and Jeff both in your ministry. And you also have Brother Andrew and, and uh, Jared and a lot of other people and Brent. And uh, so it is awesome to be here in front of you guys today to be able to talk to you about these two guys. And uh, I'm going to read some scripture. And uh, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Christ will be with you two guys till the end of the age. He'll be with you forever. The Holy Spirit's living on inside of both of you guys. Father, let's thank you so much for the blessing of being in thy house today. And Lord, uh, we just pray that uh, you use Jeff and Donnie to spread the gospel, that you might use them to uh, come to talk to the lost, to be a light to the lost, that Donnie and Jeff might touch people's hearts for Jesus Christ. I pray for both of them. I pray for their wives. And I pray for all their families. It is a tremendous job to be a pastor. And everything that goes with it, the good times and the bad. But you never, I pray, Father, that both of these guys, they will never give up. They'll keep preaching the gospel, teaching, be a light to the world. And I know, Father, that you said to go to all the world and spread the gospel. But you got to start right here where you are and spread out to teach people about Jesus. And that's the most important thing is telling people about Jesus Christ. But also after you, you get them to come to Christ, you've got to disciple them so that they'll know how to live for Christ. And I pray, Father, for this assembly today. Pray for every speaker, every person that has a part in the service today. And Father, I, I just pray that everything is said and done in God's house today, that it will be for your praise and for your glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.
thank you, Brother Ray, for that prayer and scripture reading. And uh, good morning, church. We're going to be in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, in our time of the Word this morning. If you want to go ahead and make your way there in your Bibles. While you're doing so, it's my privilege this morning to bring you greetings from Corinth Baptist Church in McQuady, Kentucky. If you have no idea where that is, you're not alone. If you just happen to find yourself there, you're probably lost, is the reality. But uh, greetings nonetheless. Also, we bring you greetings. We also bring you an apology today. We bring you an apology because our brother Donnie Sanders cut his spiritual teeth at Corinth Baptist Church. You're the recipients of that. And uh, Donnie had to leave Corinth a few years back because... Having cut his teeth at Corinth, he needed to come somewhere where he could get some uh, spiritual orthodontic work done. And so he came here uh, to get some braces and to get things straightened out. And so uh, we're thankful for that. And uh, I'm glad to be here today. It is a privilege uh, to come to share God's word with you primarily, but also just to be here on this day when you're setting aside these two men to serve as pastors. This is a high and holy calling. As Jared read earlier, this is a noble task. I've known Donnie for a long time now, about 16 years. We've known one another. Donnie has been a chairman of deacons for me. He has been a dear friend, a next-door neighbor. They've helped us raise our kids. He has set a wonderful and godly example that I'm so thankful for. And so it's a privilege today to be a part of what's happening here as Donnie is accepting this this calling from God and from this church to serve as one of your pastors. I've not known Jeffrey quite as long. I first remember some time with Jeffrey at Lewisport Baptist Church as our two youth groups came together for various events and just seeing Jeffrey there and his leadership even as, as a teenager. But I knew there was something exceptional about Jeffrey when he began pursuing Bethany Sanders. She's Bethany Roberts now, as many of you know. I still call her Bethany Sanders on accident most of the time. Bethany had been pursued by several young men over the years, and with each one of them, those of us that were looking on would say, yeah, that's not going to (laughs) work. Mostly because of Donnie. If you know anything about Donnie Sanders you know of his love and perhaps we could say overprotectedness uh, of Bethany Uh, but I would say this men in this church that are raising daughters I have two at home myself Uh, here is one thing that I've learned from Donnie Sanders raise your daughters in such a way that when young men come courting they will not be tempted to settle in any way And so I watched as Jeffrey, a godly young man, came pursuing Bethany, and I watched Donnie put him through the ringer, and I watched him come out, and I've watched their relationship form, and it is a beautiful thing. These men that you're setting apart today are being set apart to serve not just as pastors, but as examples to this flock. We're going to see that in this text today and in another text that I'll read at the end this morning. There are many exemplary things we could speak of in these brothers. But let's look at God's Word today. 
Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 27, Paul writes this to the church at Philippi. And he says to them, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. This is God's Word for us today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for these two men who are being set apart today to serve in this ministry as pastors. Shepherds under the chief shepherd called to oversee this flock, to serve as examples to this flock, to care tenderly for this flock, to teach faithfully to this flock, to lead wisely this flock in which You have placed them. Father, we pray for their faithfulness. We pray that Your Word would be their constant guide, that Your Spirit would be their constant encourager and the source of their wisdom. We pray, Father, that as we examine this text today, that each of us might ask the question, what does it look like to walk worthy of this great Gospel? And to know that while all of us fall short of that high and holy standard, by the grace of God, we are equipped to set before a lost and dying world the glorious excellencies of Him who called us out of our sins and into His marvelous light. So we are here, Father, this morning not to proclaim the excellencies of these men, but to proclaim the excellencies of the one man, Jesus Christ the one name given under heaven by which we might be saved, the one mediator between God and man, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross and scorned its shame, is seated even now in the presence of You, our almighty and all-knowing God. We look to Christ today, and we pray that You would fix our eyes on Jesus, that we might walk worthy of this gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, oftentimes when we come to days like this, ordination services, and they are few and far between as has already been mentioned, but oftentimes when we come to days like this, I can remember in my home church experiencing ordination services, and I didn't like them very much. And, and I think part of the reason that I didn't like them very much because they tended to be a little long, and they're tended, anytime you invite more than one pastor to speak, uh, it tends to get lengthy. And 
I also remember feeling as though I was simply an observer of something that didn't really involve me. It was all about the men that were being ordained, and I, and I felt as if I was somehow a, a silent observer in the, in the room, unlike the normal Sunday uh, that I would experience. But I want to encourage you this morning. This day is not just about these two brothers that are being set aside for this ministry. I love what Pastor Andrew said earlier. This is the fulfilling of a work that God began but that you have carried on in obedience to His command. It is the church that calls pastors by the will of God. Yes, this is the calling of God upon the lives of these men, but I want to encourage you today, you are not by any means passive observers, especially if you belong to this body that you are active participants in this day, first of all, because these men will be your pastors. And so you have an active role in this, to love them well, to encourage them regularly, to hold them rightfully accountable to the very qualifications that Jared read earlier. This is the role of the body of Christ. And so I want to encourage you, you are an active participant in this today. That's one reason why I chose this particular text in Philippians 1, because it doesn't speak just to pastors. Pastors are called to be an example of the things we're going to talk about today, but this is the calling of the entire body of Christ. This is what all of us as the people of God are called to. Pastors are merely setting an example of what it looks like to walk worthy of this great gospel. And so again, our main question today that we want to explore is, what does it look like to walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? How might our lives exemplify this great message of salvation, this great proclamation that Jesus saves. I think the Apostle Paul gives us some wonderful instructions here, and I've divided this up into three simple instructions today. If you want to follow along, there's an outline there in the bulletin, I believe, if you want to make use of that. Our first encouragement is this. If we're going to live lives that, that are walking worthy of the gospel, that are picturing the gospel for a lost and dying world, we are first and foremost going to have to live lowly. We're going to have to live lowly, standing devotedly in one spirit. This issue of humility rises to the very top as we consider the characteristics of Christianity, the things that we've been called to as the people of God. Humility rises to the top. Now for the church at Philippi that was existing in a very Romanized society, humility was considered the lowliest of attributes. They despised humility. In fact, they exalted the opposite of humility, which would be pride. That The Romans were a very prideful people, and they exalted those who would exalt themselves. And then Paul comes preaching this gospel that speaks about a humble king, that speaks about a self-sacrificing Savior. 
that speaks about one who considered not his own interests, but the interests of others who came in humility. And so our encouragement is this, we must at all costs stay humble. In the present moment, church, there are all manner of things that would tempt us to flee from humility. There are all manner of temptations that would cause us to shirk this great calling that is wrapped up in so many ways in us being humble. I love C.J. Mahaney's definition of humility. He has a wonderful little book called Humility. If you've not read that, I encourage you in it. It is a little book and it is worth the time, but he defines it this way. He says, humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Take that in for a moment. Two measurements that would cause us to strive after humility. First of all, the holiness of God. And second of all, the sinfulness of man. As we compare those two things, we recognize very clearly that the only thing that makes sense for the follower of Jesus Christ is to strive after humility. We have nothing to be prideful about. If there is any boasting for us, it's in the cross. If there is any boasting for us, it's in our holy God and His faithfulness to come pursuing us in love through the cross of His Son. That is all the boasting that we have. We boast not in our gifts because every gift we have comes to us from Him. We boast not in our character because it's the character of Christ that's being formed in us. We boast not in our riches because we know that everything that we have comes to us through His providence. We have no reason for boasting except in Him. This keeps us in a place of humility. We see the example of humility in the very next chapter in Philippians chapter 2. One of the most beautiful pictures of Christ in all of the New Testament. This great hymn of the faith. I consider this to have been a hymn, something they would have sung in the early church. And he says there in verse 3, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind, this mindset, this attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or to, to be held on to, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As we consider the call to humility today, we consider the example of Christ. Pastors of Union Baptist Church, you are being called upon to set a constant example of humility. And there will be many temptations not to walk in it. But there's every reason to stay humble. We need more leaders like Abraham Lincoln, who once said, I have been driven many times upon my knees, 
by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for that day. God, give us pastors like that once again. Give us presidents like that once again. Give us governors like that once again who recognize that at the end of the day, my wisdom is not going to get it done. My ability is not going to get it done. My giftedness is not going to get it done. That those that understand that they are living in utter and complete dependence upon the grace of God. And if God doesn't do something in this ministry, it's not going to happen. I pray that God may continue to put faithful men in this pulpit who understand their utter dependence upon Almighty God. And all the way to our presidency as well, may God give us godly leaders who understand their dependence upon Him. We live lowly, standing devotedly in one spirit. And so He says to them here in the text that you are then standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, there's some debate as to whether that word spirit there should be capitalized or not. Some uh, will capitalize that, recognizing the role of the Holy Spirit in our unity. And others are saying, no, really, Paul here is just talking about the mindset, the attitude of our unity that gets displayed here in the next chapter. And so there's a lot of debate back and forth, and and theologians love to debate things like this. But I love what Pastor John Piper said about this text. He said, some would would say, is this uh, about the Holy Spirit or is this about a mindset? And he gave that great and holy uh, final word upon it when he said, it's really about both. It's not an either or here, this is a both and, because it is the Holy Spirit that imparts to us the proper mindset, the proper spirit by which we will accomplish these things. The Spirit, therefore, is the great applier of the salvation that Christ purchased for us. He is the seal and guarantee that we belong to God. And so the Holy Spirit here is drawing us into this place of humility toward one another, toward that other-centered mentality that not only must the pastors of Union Baptist Church have, but all the people of Union Baptist Church looking to their example must continue by the power of the Holy Spirit to pursue unity and humility toward one another. It's interesting how many times the Apostle Paul connects those two things. The unity of the Spirit and humility toward one another. We see it in several of his letters, that connection. Because in so many ways, the key to the unity of this church and of every church of Jesus Christ will be the humility of God's people. That we are considering the needs of one another before our own needs. That we do have that other-centered mentality that the early church was recognized because of what? Because of their love for one another. They're going to know you're my disciples, Jesus said, because of the way you love one another and our love is meant to be a self-sacrificing, others-centered love. 
We're following the example of our Savior who in Matthew 11, I love the fact that this was on your sign this morning as I drove up. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. We're looking to the example of Christ. At the end of the day, Christianity is fairly simple. We complicate it, folks. But it's fairly simple in that we look to the example of our King who said, I'm gentle and lowly in heart and therefore you become gentle and lowly in heart. You find the rest for your souls in me. Secondly, this morning, if we're going to live lives that are walking worthy of this great gospel, we first must live lowly, but we secondly, we must live learning. We must live learning, striving daily in the Scriptures. And again, this is not just for pastors, this is for all the people of God. And and as I look at the landscape around us right now in this current culture, it is more necessary than ever that the people of God be firmly grounded in the Word of God. We need to know the Word of God desperately that we might stand faithfully in this moment. And there are many false teachings abounding in the church today, so it's not going to be enough just for the pastors to know it. We're going to have to become like the Bereans who hearing the preaching of the Apostle Paul, they went and looked into the Word for themselves to see if those things were so. I'm thankful that God has raised up godly pastors in this church But I want to say to you, church, don't sit back in the spiritual lazy boy and expect that Andrew and Jared and Donnie and Jeffrey are just going to get it done on your behalf. You must be striving after the Lord by studying His Word as well and holding these men accountable to teach faithfully this truth once for all delivered to the saints. Be like the Bereans. Don't just take their word for it. Hear the treasures there, see the treasures they are laying before you, and then go seeking them yourself as well. 2 Timothy 3 reminds us that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, we as pastors read a lot of books, and we're even going to give these men some books today. That's just part of pastoral ministry is being a lifelong learner, being a reader. But I want, to understand, I want you to understand this morning, there is one book that rises above them all. This is our instruction manual. Many other books may help us, but they will only help us in so much as they are pointing us back to this book, to God's book, to this holy word. There's far too many ministries today that have taken up worldly leadership philosophies and allowed those to rule and reign in the church. And I want us to understand very clearly today that worldly philosophies that do not line up with the Holy Word of God need only be rejected in the church today. There's far too many that are learning from the world how to do church. Church, we ought to be setting before the world all that God has given. And so we are called upon to be lifelong learners. 
I want to encourage us to follow the example of Ezra. We preached through Ezra last year at our church, and I learned so much from this Old Testament brother. And in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, it says that Ezra had set his heart. I love that language. He had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So it was out of the setting of his heart that he was then obeying it and teaching it. That's necessary. It has to begin with the heart being set toward the Word of God and the overflow. How do you know if a man's heart is set toward the Word of the Lord? Because he's going to be one that then is going to walk in obedience to the Lord's command and going to teach others to do the same. Again, it's pretty simple. But far too often we stray from the simplicity of what God has given. So what was the result then of Ezra setting his heart to study the law of the Lord? Well, we see it in Nehemiah chapter 8. One of the greatest revivals in the Old Testament occurs in Nehemiah chapter 8. I encourage you to go read about what God did that day as they were gathered at the water gate and experienced the power of the Spirit of God bringing real revival, not just an emotional experience, but real revival in Nehemiah chapter 8. And it says, On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites, they all came together to Ezra the scribe. Why? in order to study the words of the law. So Ezra's time in studying the word of God, he is setting his heart upon God's holy word, led God's people to desire to do the same. Brothers, this is your calling. So many things that can serve as distractions for us. Yes, there is administration to be done in the church. Yes, there are leadership decisions to be made in the church. Yes, there are bulletins to be printed and, and PowerPoint presentations to be formulated. But if we neglect the study of the Word of God, none of the rest of it will make any difference whatsoever. This must remain primary. And church, I want to encourage you, hold your pastors accountable to their time in the study that God may fire His Word in their hearts so that when they stand before you on Sunday morning, they have something worth bringing. You don't need your pastor's opinions. You need to hear the Word of God proclaimed. You don't need to hear the latest pop psychology. You need to hear Almighty God speaking to you from His Holy Word. And that's going to require men who will be diligent in study. I praise God that He is raising up that kind of pastor here at Union Baptist Church. There's also a reminder here, I believe, that our Father God is the great architect of this salvation. We're reminding ourselves who the builder is of the church. As we look at verse 28, he says, Don't be frightened by anything and anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of, your, of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Never forget, men and women of God, that everything that we have in this great salvation comes to us as the gift of Almighty God. 
We are not followers of Jesus Christ because one day we woke up and had it all figured out. We are not followers of Jesus Christ because one day we woke up and just decided to follow Jesus. We are followers of Jesus Christ because God came pursuing us in His love. That began before the foundation of the world, folks. He exemplified it in the cross of His Son some 2,000 years ago. And if you are walking with Jesus by faith today, you stand as a reminder of the God who comes pursuing lost sinners in love and draws them in to a saving relationship with Him and seals them by His Holy Spirit. He is the author. We are the recipients. And so then pastors... The encouragement of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Do your best then to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. There are many ways in which this word can be mishandled. Pray for your pastor's church every week that they might rightly handle the word of truth, that they might set before you timeless truths that will prepare us for an eternity with this great and holy God. Finally this morning, how will we walk worthy of the gospel? We first must live lowly. We must live learning, being those lifelong learners. And we also must live longing. We live longing, suffering difficulty for our Savior. He says in verse 29, it's been granted to you. That word could have also been translated grace. It's the gift of God for you. And we might ask, well, what's the gift of God? Thankfully, Paul tells us. It's been granted to you that for your sake, sorry, for the sake of Christ, let me get that right, been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him that's the first part of the gift faith the gift of faith Ephesians says we're saved by grace through faith this is the gift of God faith is not something we figured out it's something that God imparts to us by his grace that you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake Brothers and sisters, this is a gift that we might be tempted to return. Oh, we love the gift of faith. To believe God for the things that we've not yet seen, the conviction, assurance of things that are, that are hoped for, the, the assurance that God gives us to walk through the, the, those difficult times in our lives and the good times as well. We love the gift of faith, but what about the gift of suffering? You see, Paul pairs them together, and I, and I believe what he's trying to show us here, and even as we move into Philippians 2, what he's trying to show us is that the gift of faith and the gift of suffering are tied together inseparably. For it is faith that enables us to walk through suffering, and it is suffering that enables us to walk by faith. These two things come together. D.A. Carson, speaking of this passage, said, your change in character, your united stand in defense of the gospel, your ability to withstand with meekness and without fear the opposition that you must endure constitutes a sign. That sign speaks volumes, both to the outside world and to the Christian community. 
It is a sign of judgment against the world that is mounting the opposition. It is a sign of assurance that these believers really are the people of God and will be saved on the last day. Our suffering serves as a signpost. Have you ever noticed, church, that the world doesn't tend to take much notice of our singing? There was some wonderful singing here today. I want to commend you in that. My heart was encouraged by by our singing. But the world doesn't take much notice of our singing. In fact, they think it's kind of weird. And the world doesn't pay much heed to our preaching. Again, for a man to stand before a crowd and and deliver a sermon seems kind of odd in the current day. Even many churches would abandon it in favor of other methodologies. The world doesn't pay much heed to our preaching. The world doesn't take much notice of our church buildings, our finances. But one thing the world does tend to take notice of, and I think we've seen this over the last 18 months with COVID, for good or for ill, the lost and dying world does tend to take notice of how we suffer. They take notice of how we deal with that difficult diagnosis. They take notice of how we respond to that rebellious child. They take notice of what we do when we lose our job or lose our home or lose a loved one. They may not ever hear our sermons or sing our songs, but they stand up and take notice when they watch how we suffer, especially if we suffer well. And why is that? Because we are following a suffering Savior. Our lives are characterized by a cross and not a little golden necklace to hang around our necks, but taking up the cross and following Jesus Christ that is wrapped up in suffering. He never promised us this life was going to be easy. There's a false gospel running rampant in our churches that would promise us health and wealth and prosperity if you'll just follow Jesus. It's a lie from the pits of hell. We need to be reminded that He promised us tribulation. He promised us persecution. He promised us that He would be the Psalm 23 shepherd who would walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. That we need fear no evil, for He is with us. And He promised us that one day we will be with Him. And so what do we do with suffering? The main call of the Scriptures is that we are called to endure suffering. In relation to the difficulties of our lives, in relation to all that comes upon us because of this sin-broken world, in relation to all that God is doing when He uses these various trials and tribulations to form in us the character and the very image of Christ, we endure suffering. 2 Timothy chapter 4 Paul encourages his his young protege Timothy and says, As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. 
pastors of Union Baptist Church, if you would fulfill your ministry, you will have to endure suffering. 1 Peter 2, this is a gracious thing, a gift of God once again. This is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. This is a gift from God, a gracious thing. When mindful of Him in church, that's where we need to be in this present moment. Not, not mindful of COVID or mindful of politics or mindful of the economy or mindful of those who haven't yet, yet been able to return to the church. Not mindful of all those things, but mindful of God. That our minds would be filled with all the fullness of Him. That our primary thinking from the moment we wake up in the morning to the last thoughts before we drift off to sleep in the evening, that we would be constantly thinking of Him. And that will enable us then to endure the suffering that He hands to us by His grace. Again, we're so tempted to separate these things and think that perhaps suffering comes to us apart from the hand of God. When the reality is suffering comes to us by the hand of God. And there's a mystery here. I don't proclaim to try to help us understand the fullness of that today, but just understand, believer, nothing comes into your life apart from the gracious hand of your Heavenly Father. You need to hear that this morning. Nothing comes to your life. No weapon formed against you shall prosper in terms of your condemnation because your condemnation was already placed upon His cross. And so you endure suffering not as chastisement from God, though at times it may be, but primarily as a character-building exercise, as the character of Christ being formed in us to the glory of God. We remind ourselves that the Son of God then is the great accomplisher of this salvation. Pastors of Union Baptist Church, I want to give you this encouragement and this great reminder as well. You are not doing your work in order to finish something that Christ left undone. It's easy to fall into that mentality. I've got to do something to make up for what Jesus didn't do. But our Savior said at the cross, it's finished. And when He said it was finished, He didn't mean now it's your turn. No, we work from the victory that He obtained at the cross. We do not work for the victory. The victory has already been won. And the more we can remind ourselves of that, the more we can remind ourselves that we are operating out of a finished work, the better able we will be able to do what God has called us to do. Because once again, we'll be reminding ourselves of our utter and complete dependence upon Him. That He will complete everything He has begun. Because He's promised to do so. And He is the one who in the very end in Revelation 22 testifies to these things, saying, surely I'm coming soon. Union Baptist Church, be reminded our King is coming for us. This is not all there is, praise God. 
that for this pastor has been one of the thanksgivings of this pandemic is that God has reminded me, and I believe reminded many others as well, this world is not our home. We are sojourners and strangers in a foreign land. We cannot afford to get too comfortable here. God has given us a gracious reminder that there is something better coming, eternally better, infinitely better. Surely I'm coming soon, our Savior says. And then the church responds in this way. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Pastors of Union Baptist Church, it is your role to set continually before this people the reminder that the King is coming. In the midst of the suffering of this flock, in the midst of the joys of this flock, in those days in which the church appears to be winning great victories, in those days in which the church appears to be suffering great defeats, reminding this church our King is coming. This is not all there is. Don't get too comfortable. So I'll finish today with this exhortation from 1 Peter 5. I'm sure these brothers have spent much time with this text in preparation for this day. Church Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Hear this, brothers. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And then this glorious promise that will sustain every pastor in their darkest day if they would but heed it. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for these sweet and glorious reminders from Your Holy Word. We pray for these men who are being set aside for gospel ministry today called to this role of pastor today. We pray that they might walk worthy of this great gospel from now until that day when you take them home to be with you. I pray that no retirement mentality would ever overtake them, that they would, like the Apostle Paul, run until the finish line following hard after the author and the finisher of our faith, our Lord Jesus Christ. Pursuing humility. Studying Your Word. 
and enduring suffering. That the character of Christ might be formed in them as an example to this flock and to a lost and dying world. That the cross of Jesus Christ is powerful for transformation. Changing us from the inside out. Fitting us for your kingdom. In all these things we give thanks. And as we would lay hands upon them today, setting them apart for this great office, this noble task, may You gain great glory for Yourself, Father. And may we have great assurance that our King is coming. He will complete every work He has begun. And we can stand faithfully. We can walk worthy. We can pray diligently. And we can long passionately for our King to come. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
seated. We'll have our pastors on the ordination council come forward and, and our candidates as well. Jared, would you mind to slide those chairs over here? Um, thank you, Andrew, for that great word this morning, faithful word to us and, and just a really good encouragement. We appreciate you being here. Um, at this time, we're going to have our candidates um, just affirm some things publicly uh, before the congregation. And uh, then we, especially, particularly the members of Union Baptist Church, I'm going to ask you a couple questions and, and ask you to answer in the affirmative. So when we come to that time, you'll say first, first question, you answer, we do. And the second question, we will. But I'll begin with our, our brothers here this morning. Do you reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior? Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be the word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme, final, and only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you sincerely believe the statement of faith and covenant of this church contain the truth taught in the Holy Scripture? Do you promise that at any, if any time you find yourself out of accord with any of these statements in the statement of faith and covenant, you will, on your own initiative, make known to the pastors and the church body the change which has taken place in your views since your assumption of this vow? Do you subscribe to the government and dis discipline of Union Baptist Church? Do you promise to submit to your fellow pastors in the Lord? Have you been induced, as far as you know, uh, your, as far as you know your own heart, to accept the office of pastor from love of God and sincere desire to promote his glory in the gospel of his son? Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account? Will you be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as pastor, whether personal or relative, private or public? And will you endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life and to walk with exemplary piety before this congregation? Are you now willing to take personal responsibility in the life of this congregation as a pastor to oversee the ministry and resources of the church and to devote yourself to prayer, the ministry of the word, and the shepherding of God's flock, relying upon the grace of God in such a way that Union Baptist Church and the entire Church of Jesus Christ will be blessed? Let me ask our members to stand, the congregation to stand, at this time, and again, you answer the first one, we do, and the second one, we will, if, if you're so led. All right. Do you, the members of Union Baptist Church, acknowledge and publicly receive these men as pastors, as gifts of Christ to this church? Will you love them and pray for them in their ministry and work together with them humbly and cheerfully? that by the grace of God you may accomplish the mission of the church, giving them all due honor and support in their leadership to which the Lord has called them to the glory and honor of God.
Will you join us once again in prayer this morning? Father, we do thank you for these men and for this congregation in which you have raised them up as pastors, shepherds of your people. Your calling to be a pastor, a shepherd of your people is a, is a high and weighty calling. As has already been acknowledged this morning, it's a call to feed your sheep, your people, to strengthen the weak among them, to heal the sick and to bind up the injured, to bring back the strain and to seek out the lost. Additionally, Lord, you call us to do these things, all that would, would serve you in this role, to do so willingly with a care and concern for the, the souls of those they would shepherd, not, not out of gain, personal gain or greed, but with a concern for your glory and your people. Furthermore, you require an accounting from your shepherds, accounting for those who will be under their care. So this realization reminds us, Lord, that your calling is more than we can fulfill, more than we can accomplish and achieve on our own, more than we can meet by our might or fulfill by our wisdom and thoughts. So, Lord, we pray for them. We pray for, for Donnie and for Jeffrey this morning. And we, we also pray for ourselves, Lord, that, that in your graciousness you will draw them near to yourself, train them to walk continually in your presence and, and in the light of your calling on their lives. Grant to them, too, a, a willing and joyful humility, a willingness to endure injury and suffering that they may cast their cares upon you even as they care for those that you've called into yourself, that you would sustain them in the long haul, that you'd enable them to stand firmly and to stand faithfully upon your word and in, in, in an obedience, establishing an example for those who would, would watch and those who would follow. These things we pray for Donnie and Jeffrey. Again, Lord, even as we pray them for ourselves this morning. In Christ's name, amen.
Oh 